0: consider any role in football i was ever offered one again here in the country but i haven't been since 2005
1: this is the green machine podcast i'm nick and i'm joined by david and martin to bring you brian Kerr part three and steve staunton point five what a glorious glorious episode ahead lads brian Kerr part three and steve staunton point five jesus should be called manager madness rather than manager monday really shouldn't it yeah this
2: is a very uh, uh, interesting. I mean, it's all interesting, isn't it? It's Irish football. But, yeah, I mean, we we had the, the promise of care. um, That didn't deliver, as we are going to talk about. And then we had, you know, the world-class manager that was promised. And then uh, that wasn't delivered either, I, I suppose. So, yeah, it's kind of all about sort of false dons, I think, these couple of years. Uh, I mean, Irish football is littered with false dons. But these two um, really, really stand out in the memory. Yeah, so this is very much a bridging episode between the Care era and the
1: the Manager Mondays. We've been going through each of the qualification campaigns and going through the matches. But what we're going to do today, or tonight rather, we're going to have a little look at Brian Care's era as a whole. We're going to maybe discuss it a little, a little bit. We're going to look at his record because it probably flattered a bit to deceive, didn't it, lads? And and then we'll speak about, I suppose, the, the months leading up to the world-class appointment of Steve Stanton. <laughs> before we get into the full episode of his um, ill-fated Euro 2008 qualifying campaign next Monday. So that'll be a barrel of laughs, won't it? So just to pick up where we left off the last time, lads. So, so Brian Kerr's been sacked. Um, as we mentioned the last day, it was just a repetitive nature of tactical... Uh, I was going to say, I don't want to curse, but tactical mess-ups. Um, but consist but, but but the same consistent things, wasn't it? Conservative when we should have been going going for it when we should have been coming out um to to maybe score a second goal to maybe take back and that did become a feature of Irish football for a long time to come. So one thing that I did mention a couple of seconds ago is Brian Kerr's record and even if we read through it now, so his his overall record, so thirty-three games played, eighteen games won. 11 games drawn and four games lost. Now, as we say, kind of flatters to deceive, doesn't it? And then uh, we mentioned in the last episode, this was something that kept popping up again and again and again. Some of the teams we beat in friendlies. So we beat Holland in a friendly, we beat Portugal in a friendly, we beat Croatia in a friendly. But then when it came to, to the competitive games, similar to how it's been for the last 20 odd years, lads. We struggled against the bigger teams. We struggled against the teams who were probably a similar standard to us. And a funny statistic that kind of comes out of all of the carrier rep is that the highest-ranked team that we managed to beat in a competitive game was Albania, and weren't they ranked like in the mid-80s or something along those lines back then?
2: Yeah, it was. It was actually sorry, it was actually Georgia. And that was were, Georgia. Uh... It was Georgia and Cyprus uh, at 86. Um, oh. Albania were were 88. <laughs> so you're not you're not too far <laughs> not, off, Nick.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not too far off, but yeah, it's kind of. we well, have well, to do the man
2: credit now. Can, we have to do cons, the man credit. <laughs>
1: considering the Cyprus result a couple of years ago, what a result that was for Brian Kerr.
2: <laughs> yeah, ahead of his time.
1: Had of his time. Oh Jesus! It's, it's it's it's. I wouldn't call it grim readings, but it's regretful readings, isn't it? Because I know like friendly matches can be very diluted by nature, by nature, can't they? But, you know, beating Portugal, who was probably one of the finest Portuguese teams of all time, that Croatia team was fairly strong, wasn't the wasn't as strong as recent years, but some some very good results. One of the best Dutch teams of recent years as well, and, and translate. I mean, we, we probably should have beaten France away, probably should have beaten Switzerland home and away, but that, that was the next step that Brian Carey just couldn't really grasp, wasn't it? Going going uh, I, for the kosh against the bigger sides.
2: I I think the problem, it's sort of it's a symptom of the of the carrier, was that he just literally couldn't do it when it mattered, and that went for tactics as well. I mean we we were we were talking about the last game we finished off with the last match against uh, Switzerland home. I recently just watched this game, the full ninety minutes of it, and that was an arduous task I can tell you. Um, Sick it man. Was, uh, I am glutton <laughs> for punishment Um, I don't need war when I've got Irish football to watch <laughs> it, it's really just, it was really depressing in the end, you know I mean there was no cohesion throughout the, through the whole match amongst the Irish team, it was just players just kind of running themselves into the ground and not really enjoying football and not enjoying the, fo- the style of football they were playing and you know, even against Switzerland 4-4-2 when we, really, when we need a goal, we don't score if we don't score a goal, we're out of the competition. And uh, well, sorry, we we need to win a game, and obviously to win a game we've got to score. So we need a goal. We don't win yeah. the game, we're out of the competition, is what I meant to say. Um, there we are playing four four two, like just this kind of long ball style, and it wasn't doing anything. It was really really poor. Um, you know, he takes Robert Keane off in the sixty eight minute, which uh, Keane's face was priceless, to be fair. It's probably the only time he's been substituted, um, in such a manner, and. It, Yeah. And obviously when we needed to just kind of keep things as they are against Israel, you know, when we're 2-0 up just like for like substitution, he doesn't do it. He changes the whole thing and that ruined everything um, for Ireland and actually for him in the long run, because I I think that was the beginning of the end for him personally. And when he needed to change, he couldn't do it. And it's the same with with, with uh, these results. When when he needed to get the results against the teams he needed to get them against, he couldn't do it. You know, there's no mm-hmm. point in beating Portugal at home and getting a draw with Brazil and all this kind of stuff. You've got to beat the teams yeah. that are around you and you've got to do it competitively. And he couldn't. And it got worse as it went on. It really did. I'm not against Brian Kerr, but I I what, you know, you, you see the performance against France and Paris, which uh, you know, looks a lot better than it was on when you actually go through the bells of it, it's not that impressive of a performance because that was half a France team. wasn't even half a France team. However, you know, you take that for what it is and you just see it gradually get worse as it goes along. And then towards the end, it was just horrible. It was horrible to watch. And it did look like we had no plan. And it looked like we didn't know what we were doing. It looked like the manager didn't know what he was doing. And I know, we're going to talk about it on here. He was fighting some internal battles behind the scenes, which probably did take that focus away. But on a care, there was never really that standout performance, you know, a standout famous victory that nearly every manager um, has w- with, with a couple of exceptions. You know, it it was just very, very poor. And, you know, someone said to me, um, a good friend of ours actually said to me, off oh, air, you know, why would you give... McCarthy the time when he took over in 96 why would you give him two years but you wouldn't you know you, you wouldn't give Kerr the same amount of time or whatever it was Pfft, one obvious reason is that Kerr had a ready-made team to come into he had a very strong side that was one our time. that was our
1: golden generation really yeah. wasn't it I know like look I mean I, I was very young at the time but I mean looking back now I mean you've got yeah. let's go through the team briefly you've Shay given a goal you've Steve him right back he's just won the Champions League Stephen Carr as well. Was Gary Kelly still still available at the time? He wasn't really playing. I think he, was he retired kind
2: of... 2006, but he wasn't really playing, no.
1: Yeah, he wasn't really playing much for Leeds. And then you, Ian Hart was playing in Spain, but he was still very vastly experienced. And the thing is, lads, I mean, even the players I've got to name, even the likes of Roy Keane, Damien Duff, Robbie Keane, you've you've got the basis of those lads. But what a lot of maybe younger listeners won't realise is that the kind of unexciting names in that squad. Your Kenny Cunninghams, your Kevin Kilbans, um, your Andy you your Clinton Morrisons. They were smashing players. Well Mar was inconsistent to say the least, but they were smashing players. Cunningham Andy O'Brien was playing in the Champions League for Newcastle. You know, it was that was a good it, it's 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 tough looking back. It's tough looking back now, given the current situation. Like, I mean, we had several Champions League players and we had several players challenging for the title every season, didn't we? Damien had just won back-to-back titles with Chelsea. Shay Gibbon was getting in the, the PFA Team of the Year every couple of years. Roy Keane, as we mentioned, he was declining. And this was really leading into his, his half-season, his last half-season with Manchester United. But it was still Roy Keane you know, we still, he was still maybe not the driving force that he was in the previous qualifying, uh, the previous World Cup qualifying campaign, but that presence was still, was still huge. So this team, and, and the other thing I was wondering the other day, lads, I was only thinking of this myself, like it was an era that kind of, you know, 2003 to 2004, when football is slowly leaving the whole four four two direct style of play. It's kind of, reflective of the Mourinho era really with Porto and then Chelsea where it's going to kind of a four two three one and with international football a lot of teams are playing with a diamond or a four three three. And if you look at some of the players we had, like I mean we we Roy Keane available Graham Kavanaugh was playing I, I know like we've mixed views on Graham Kavanaugh, but he was playing very well the Matt Holland we'd Kevin Kilbane playing centre mid and you kind of look at it and you think could he not have abandoned a striker Gone for Matt Holland in that number ten, or gone for Kevin Kilband, he was a bit quicker at the time in that number ten. Like there, there there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said for his competency at international level, even given the this, the, I suppose the the trends that were happening in international football and domestic football at the time in terms of tactics and formations and how they were evolving.
0: Yeah, I think he he never really took Kerr. Uh, and I think when you it's easy. Obviously, I love doing these uh, Monday podcasts and looking back because you you can obviously. I think I've mentioned it before. It's always nice. Like a lot of these players now are, are finished with Ireland, so you can reflect and we kind of remember the players that they possibly became rather than what they maybe were at the time. But so when we look back at it, we think, God, that's a really strong side. Richard Dunn and you know John O'Shea and things like that. You kind of mark them against what they actually achieved in their careers. But I think this is a kind of seismic kind of change for Ireland at the time because I think this is one of the last great kind of squads I think we had with a real solid um, players throughout the whole team. You know, Shea Gibbon, yeah. as you said, was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, right? So Roy oh, Keane, yeah. okay, coming I'd say, towards the end. I'd say, as well. I'd
1: say in the world. I'd say in yeah, the yeah. world at that yeah. stage, yeah.
0: He was. Um, and, you know, and he proved that. And we we've saw, we've saw that. We always had that. Reassurance as Ireland fans when when Shay Gibbon was playing but Shay Gibbon he would be called upon, but he wouldn't let you down he would make I mean he's made some incredible well-class saves in his time with Ireland yeah. I mean he's a brilliant servant for Ireland I mean again though John O'Shea like you know he's just getting going for Man United he's probably one of the last players really who came through into the next few campaigns as well where you know, he was playing at a very high level with Man United and stuff, had a very successful career with them playing Champions League football. This this squad in a way is littered with a few of those who, you know, and even Robbie Keane, Damien Duff, like you said, played at the very, very highest level. Yeah. The next few campaigns to come, you'll see with, with the squads and stuff, a lot of those our players are kind of fading away basically. They're they're not at that high level with their clubs, which then obviously comes to today where we are now. This is kind of the really the kind of decline of Irish players playing at the highest level for their for clubs, which is obviously got an impact on us as well, but um, at, at senior level. It's, yeah, Kerr, so Kerr overall, though, you know, I think this is what we wanted overall. Um, we wanted, there was such high hopes that he was coming in because he, under, he understood youth football, he understood schoolboy football, he knew all the politics of Irish football, I think I said in the last one as well, really high hopes. It was what we wanted. This was the idea, you know, the FAI were developing this football for the future development plan. He was very much involved with that um Paki Bonner was involved in that as well I remember like with London again I know I always name drop but um we had them both over <laughs> going through giving us the kind of development plan Paki Bonner really professional presentation on it you know I've got the book in front of me so we'll throw some post pictures up later but um on it when we go uh when we post up the podcast but um you know like he he was so behind it Kerr. and at all levels we were really really thinking this is what we need to do, you know, they were going to be having their own uh, training ground, going to do, that was going to bring so much more as well. The whole objective was very, very clear for Irish football. We believed in it because, and rightly so, I think, you know, there was mm-hmm. optimism because he'd achieved at underage. And you're just thinking natural progression is for him to develop um, those players when they come to senior. Sadly, though, I think you are then, you've got the the other mindset of, as a coach, you're coaching players who are hungry and wanting to win that underage. They're young young men, basically. They haven't earned all the money that's going to come and obviously be a distraction. They're not well, completely well, the at the level to get in either, are they? You know, yeah, trying to make successful at their own clubs. He's,
1: he's the only Irish manager to win a, a title. Yeah. If you think about well, it. Well, uh, well, unless you count, uh, unless right you count G, Giovanni Trapattoni with we're, we're, the Nations League and... Big the Jack triangular tournaments, the Icelandic tournament. tri, tri- triangular, I
2: guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that. Uh, Look, I mean, yeah, he he did win those tournaments with, with, with the U teams, and, and you know he's an absolute legend in Irish football for that. He's considered that, and and rightfully so. It was it was a it was a strange situation because when he was made when he was made manager, you know, everyone really wanted. The, they were happy for him. The media absolutely were behind him 100% from what I could see from the archives. I don't remember it at the time as well. Uh, the media were 100% behind this guy. I was behind this guy. He wouldn't have been my first choice. But it was one of those you couldn't argue he deserved his chance. What sort of message do you send out to to mm. coaches, to youth coaches and other coaches in Ireland? Well, you know, you've just won two back-to-back tournaments and you're not going to give this guy you know, a chance to, to well, show what he, what well, he was we discussed
1: the Well, we discussed the alternative, because, I mean, like, the, the thing Brian is when, 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 yeah, when, when a when a managerial campaign or when a man, managerial era doesn't go to plan, you look at the alternatives, who was available, who turned down the job, who was offered the job, and the alternatives were Brian Robson, who I believe was unattached at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. And Kevin Moran. Who had never managed? Had he managed? Yeah. I don't think he managed. No, he would nah. never managed before. And then there was talk of Philip Troussier, very much a journeyman manager, and he managed was it Japan, Japan in the 2002 World Cup, and he's managed about 50 different countries. So, in terms of the appointment, it was a rite of passage for Care. And I mean, I, I, you'd wonder where the FAI, considering the, the tactical you know, the tactical adeptness of care or where they're saying, this is the right of passage. This is the natural fit. This guy has brought through Damien Duff and um, Robbie Keane, two of our best players at the moment. And he is just, he is just the next in line.
2: Yeah. You know? I, I think, and, and, and to be fair, they were right. You know, they were right now. We know it didn't work out. And in my opinion, I think the job was too big for care. Um, maybe if that Brian care was around now, with this Ireland team would be a different story but that that mm. was now, he had taken over a team of super, and that is a team of no, maybe not superstars as such. Shea Given as a, you know, look, I'm going to read out the, the starting level against Switzerland, right, his last game had Given a goal, Stephen Carr right back who actually was dreadful that night, Kenny Cunning was the captain, uh, be, alongside him was Richard Dunn, he had Ian Hart on the left, you had uh, Matt Holland and John O'Shea for some reason in the centre of the park, which was just a total imbalance. You could have had Graham, should have had Graham Cabinet there, because that's a balance uh, yeah. for me. You had Andy Reid, Robert Keane, Clinton Morrison. You know that's a that's a quality side. You had Stephen Reid on the bench, who yeah. only came off. Um, on the 79th mm-hmm. minute that's a quality side and he just didn't he nearly couldn't... he nearly didn't he nearly set up a goal stephen reed i think i think yeah, yeah he actually yeah. hit one just over the bar yeah it was, a, it was yeah. a lovely lovely shot but that's
1: and but but as i said like a, a lot of people say younger fans and no disrespect to younger fans i mean when we talk about you know the 90s i wasn't even born well i was born in the 90s but i i can't remember a lot of things but to put it into context, a lot of younger fans who are listening to this and they are witnessing the the pool of players that we have at the moment. There's never been well, maybe in the early nineties and uh, maybe in the late eighties, there we have never really had it where it's an eleven or a squad of, you know, world class players or top class players. There's always been the in between. So you've had your Roy Keane and then, you know, you've had your Alan Kernahan. You know, so it's just there's <laughs> yeah. always been that mix and a matching, isn't it? But the one thing I would say about the career, as I said, the in betweens, your Andy O'Briens, your Kenny Cunningham's, your Richard Dunn's, who obviously excelled a couple of years later, um these were exceptional players, like these were Premier League regulars who were performing yep. every week like they like the in the pro the worst, yeah, like the worst players in that Irish squad will be starting. For the current Ireland squad, like Kenny Cunningham will probably be our starting center half.
2: Yeah, and I, I, that was that was, a, that was a very good side, and it, I mean it wouldn't be as strong as the team that Jack had available uh, to him yeah. in 1987. That was the strong, without question, the strongest starting eleven he could put that, that was probably ever put together on an Ireland pitch at any one time. Um, so I, I think the game against Scotland, but it was a very balanced side as well. It was mm. a very, very balanced side uh, in terms of age and ability, and it should have done better. And that was the manager's job, and his his reputation was, was to get the most out of what he got. And I think maybe it was that he didn't realize how good the side he had, and that was yeah. the problem. And, I
1: I uh, love I I love the point that you made last week, David, and it was. Roy Keane coming back. I mean, we we mentioned like we, we go on and on about Kerr losing or having McCarthy had lost the first two games of Euro two thousand and four and Kerr had to pick up the pieces. And when oh. Kerr got to the summer of two thousand and four, he was able to mould his team. He was able to bring in Andy O'Brien, for example or Andy Reid, for example. And then he brought Roy Keane back. And then just a point you made last week, David, about Roy Keane and what you spoke about, Martin, in the Faroe Islands, where yeah. Was it? My you we were talking to Martin, and he yeah, said yeah. Roy Roy Keane would never be out usually, but he, but he's out now. You know, and, and and David, you said that there was a quieter persona to Roy Keane. I mean, look, as I said, I was quite young, and I was just in awe because I never thought I'd see Roy Keane play for Ireland again. So I just thought this was great. But as you said, David, looking back, when we needed that driving force, when we needed that bit of motivation, this was almost like a a semi-retirement for roy Keane, and it was almost like even martin when you mentioned last week about being in the farrows it's almost like if you look at any of the footage of saipan and if you look at any of the aftermath of saipan you, you kind of wonder is is this roy Keane trying to make amends with his teammates and is this roy Keane trying to live life to the fullest i suppose in ireland camp when maybe he hadn't before and was this change of persona i don't know a presumed change of persona part of the reason that maybe he didn't have that impact and maybe we were lacking that kick up the hole that we were missing in Euro 2004. And that was very much lacking for the world I, cup. In 2006. I, think, I think
0: that's what Kerr was hoping he would be bringing to it, but he, he was injury prone at that time. He still missed games. He probably didn't have the presence yet of, of what Roy Keane of years gone by, you know, 2002 qualifiers, what he did then in them games, how important when we covered that campaign. Um, You know, he was coming to the end, sadly. Um, But again, I I think one other thing I think for balance to be fair to Kerr is I think there's an awful lot going on in the background politically at the FAI. Um, You know, with his achievements off the, you know, underage, he was given the job of technical director in 1998. And that had kind of passed on to Paddy Bonner then, as I said earlier. Um, I think he probably saw this as an opportunity. I think there's a bit of a power struggle at the FAI um, mm. with John Delaney coming in as the CEO. Um, and which will obviously come into to play, especially with the next appointment of a manager. I just clearly think they never got along in a way. I think there's an awful lot going on in the background. You've got to remember as well, lots of other stuff going on politically in Ireland with regard to... You know, our stadium's being renovated um, soon, yeah. and we're going to have to get a temporary home at Croke Park. All the political landscape of that, all very interesting stuff of Rule 42 and the GAA. Was um, Rule
1: 42 under care? Was that, was care in charge at the time? Just yeah. around
0: the time, yeah. And then yeah, it, it was, and then yeah. it obviously came into play for Stan's game in 2007. Doesn't, so yeah. it's, it's um, actually
2: the day after um, Stan. And appointed They get the deal. The IRFU and the FAI get the deal with yeah. the JAA. Um, obviously we'll discuss that probably in next week's yeah. episode. But uh I Sean, think Sean, Sean Kelly being the Good Samaritan that he is, oh, yeah. a Kerry man, Jesus a Christ, get, getting football into the J. Yeah. I never thought. Yeah. I I actually used I used to fall out a lot with my uh, sister-in-law who's from <laughs> Kerry, and uh, <laughs> you know they're they're big big uh, Kerry football heads, you know, and I was like, oh, I'll never go to Crow Park. Until, uh, you know, they, they lift um, the rule the 42 ban, you know. And uh, funny enough, they did. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's a coincidence, lads, you know. But, but anyway, <laughs> I think as well with Kerry, the issue um, and the problem, another massive issue that he had was that th- there was such a dearth of talent from a technical point of view amongst the FAI. You had Packy Bonner and himself, really. And there was no one else to really... And it's actually kind of funny because there's a parallel with Stephen Kenny at the moment too. And um, there was no one really else to push that off-field agenda other than Brian Kerr. So he's kind of doing, he's kind of binding up there's too much on his pl- plate, basically. And then you're yeah. warring with a CEO who's a fucking gobshite and doesn't actually know what he's doing. And you're battling this guy. And this guy is a big, strong personality and you're fighting him. So you are going to be quite distractive with your off-field um, uh, duties as well. And I think that was the issue with Kerr. If Kerr, who knows, I I still don't think it would have been different, quite frankly, if Kerr had been left alone to his duties as Republic of Ireland manager. Um, You know, I don't, he deserved to get the job. I don't think he was um, built for the job. It got worse as it went on, and it really, really did. I challenge anybody who's listening to this to go back and watch the games like I have, and I have all 90 minutes of that pure dross, especially. Challenge, Challenge is the word. Challenge <laughs> is the absolute word. I've gone back and I've I, I watched all those games and it was dreadful to watch. It was really poor and it was made worse by the fact of the quality of players that he had. He did not get the best out of them. The players didn't respect him either. Yeah. Maybe Keane was happy, um. but then he clipped Keane, Keane's wings, didn't he? He came in and says, right, you're going to come in, you're going to adhere to this, this and this. And I understand why he did that, but in that way you kind of took the fire out of Keane. You didn't give him the captaincy. Whether that would have made a difference, we don't know. You know, but, but he just, did sort of just bring regret. him in. It's just regret, really.
1: I just remember the... Um, Jesus, was in McDonald's had an ad for the 2006 World Cup, and it was like, Ireland aren't going to the World Cup. Togo are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, or, uh, it was just... It and was England's just regret. one of the favourites. <laughs> yeah, it was just regret. It was just Roy Keane, Robbie Keane. Damien Duff, Shea Given, Steve Finn, oh it's just, John O'Shea. It's just like it, what what we give for that now. And, yeah. and they, that that squad should have been at the finals. Um Yeah, they again, certainly should you
0: know. have. And yeah, they should have been at finals. And, and it's a shame that look like for you know, whether you like Rookin or not, we never we only saw him at one World Cup ultimately and and yeah. that squad was good enough to qualify there. You know, Israel did mess up the whole group because they started pulling out these mental results, but we cost ourselves twice against them. So that mm-hmm. was from Kerr's fault. I would hold Kerr fully accountable for those results against them and then not going for it against the Swiss. You know, against the top seed, the French, and, you know, we, we could have run away, and we would, but that's what the top seeds do, though. They will come to yeah. your backyard and they will get a mm-hmm. result because they're good at grounding out results. That's what top seeds always the result do. Against, Israel, absolutely just
2: disgraceful. Uh, um, the one at home was an absolute disgrace we, I went on a rant about it last week I won't do it again this week that was an absolute disgrace and the, the one away from home we were never we never looked like we were going to win we were, we were holding on and holding on and you know you you try to hold on to a result in, in, in international football you're about you're to get punished and we always have we always have been punished I mean you look through the you look through uh, the history of Irish football how many late you know winners are. uh late winners and late equalizes how we mm. conceded over the years because we've never just kind of taken right lads let's get a second and a third yeah. and a fourth the, and the, it's
1: it. It, it's like in primary school when your teacher says oh you make a mistake but it's it's okay once you learn from it and once you know once you make amends and i mean it was just a recurring team wasn't it the, and nearly all our goals came within the first couple of minutes in that 2006 campaign yeah. and then conceding fairly late on or conceding and, and not taking the initiative it's just re- it's
2: just repetitive was no, wasn't it but there was also no style of football lads. honestly go I, I would challenge anybody to it go was it was, okay. it was
1: almost like it was almost like there was an incentive for this these talented players to take the initiative you know take the initiative and and maybe go with I wouldn't say with no instruction because you can see that there was a direct an instruction to play quite direct and to play quite deep But if you look at Kerry, you you might think, well, I've never managed Premier League players before. Similar kind of argument to Kenny at the moment, Stephen Kenny at the moment. Never managed Premier League players before. I've had all of these lads when they were kids, and they're no longer kids. They're top players. Surely if I give them the bones of what I want to do, their quality will shine through, and they will take the initiative on the pitch. Like, surely
2: that might have crossed his mind, or surely that was part of the plan? I think one, um, and I don't want to sound horrible here, I I, I really don't want to sound horrible towards Brian Kerr or anyone, and I don't want to offend anybody with it, but I think when you see someone like Brian Kerr and how he communicates, um, now, I think his expertise in football and his knowledge of the game is just, like, it's unrivaled, okay, in Ireland, and we know that, but I think how he kind of goes about things is probably more suited to an underage level when you are all of a sudden a Premier League footballer and you have a Portuguese coach such as um, uh, Damian Duff did or you've had managers like Bobby Robson uh, and all sorts, you know, modern style footballers, Rafa Benitez for, for Steve Finnan and then you have Brian Kerr going on and you see how he is on telly. You know, he sounds like a lad down the pub. You know, I don't mean that to sound like, I don't want that to sound like Steve Stoughton jive by by Amy Dunphy, like he looks like a guy in the Phoenix Park, albeit hilarious, but obviously quite, you know, (laughs) quite quite a nasty comment, albeit quite funny, but very, very nasty. I don't mean that in that same sense, but he sounds like a guy down the pub that you'd have a chat with about football. And he go, geez, this guy really knows his stuff. And Karen knew his stuff. I mean, his preparation was, was amazing. Um, it was so dossiered and it was forensic almost.
1: And let's, let's not forget who was his number two. Chris, Chris Hew-
2: Yeah, exactly. Which was a phenomenal appointment. Uh, and, you know, he, he's an excellent manager and he's gone on to, to be an excellent manager. But I just think maybe the way he kind of, you could see, obviously, they would, there, were, there would be a plan course is going to be a plan because Kerr is a very very well prepared coach right that's one of the things he's renowned for however for whatever reason that just the players just didn't carry it out or couldn't carry it out or didn't want to carry it out and um, we know that there, there was internal battles uh damon duff would come out and say that we played like a pub team i think it was robbie Keane or duff as well one of them said it i think it was robbie Keane that he said that Kerr still talks to me like i'm a teenager yeah. you know what i mean and that for me that's what i'm kind of basing that a bit on okay i've never met brian Kerr. nothing against the lad but i yeah, think this it's just is from the
1: horse's mouth though and and this, this yeah. shows perhaps a, like a growth doesn't it
2: yeah and uh, you know it's just when when you've never sort of like gone outside of ireland prior to this you've never managed outside of ireland you know <laughs> Um obviously Delaney um kiboshed or the FAI kiboshed, the Roxburgh wanted him to be part of a technical um your way for technical development scheme. Yeah. And sorry, technical analysis group. And the FAI stupidly said, No, you can't do that, which is ridiculous. That sort of that's the sort of thing you need to develop and grow because you know, he'd never managed outside of Ireland up to this point. And it's good to go to different countries and meet different people and learn and grow and develop as a player and a manager. And he probably didn't, he probably hadn't done that, you know. But I don't, I'm not taking away from his, as I said, from his ability as a coach, um, whatever. But maybe in terms of communication, it would have been better to maybe go to different places and and try to find out new ways of doing this.
0: I think it's a very good point that you make that, you know, our our better players there are going back to their clubs and they're dealing with, really really experienced managers and innovative managers whereas this guy's still coming up with stuff probably we don't know for certain but you know he's coming up with stuff and he's had them for a long time and he's probably still doing the same old kind of thing yeah interestingly though again let's look at what, what came through under age under 21s at the time I think I said last time as well how going to the away games at the time we were fortunate to be able to go to some of the games and see them in action. The under-21s used to play the night before, which I thought was brilliant for the team because you would. A lot of Irish fans, we just love football, so we will go if we can. As a match, on, we'll go. And I remember going to the Cyprus one in October 2005. And this is again. Let's remember, John Givens was our underage under-21 <sighs> manager then. I Jeez. in a lovely. I I remember this vividly for two really key things. And I've looked up the game actually afterwards and Ireland drew one all all with Cyprus and Willow Flood spared Ireland's blushes with a (laughs) 76 minute equaliser. Right. A funny story from that. was You can imagine there's only twelve hundred people there. (laughs) So um, what was quite funny was, um, you know, I remember just this like Dublin accent, just shouting out Willow, Willow. And that's all you could hear throughout the game. Like you could just hear every now and again the big shout for Willow, and he was really highly rated. Willow Flood, he's now an agent because I've, I've done a bit of research on him. And yeah, he, score, he scored
1: one of his first games for City, I think. And, he did, um, yes, he did. Went yeah, on to play for Celtic,
0: yeah. He went, I mean, you know, he, he didn't really develop as he should have, probably. He was really highly, was rated tiny, at the
1: time. yeah. He was a small, small guy,
0: player. but we had Henderson in goal, Keane. Uh, uh, this was a Keane who was, um. He, he, he was actually subbed on the 42nd minute, not not Robbie, obviously. He was Keith <laughs> Luton's Keith Keane. Um, Stephen Ward played then. Potter, uh, O'Brien, w- Glenn Whelan, uh, that's Fitzgerald, Max Shane, Willow Flood, Tab and McGeady. McGeady was quite good as well. Yeah. But Jay tab was there as well. And then yeah. uh, not used, Quigley, she, you know, Donovan and Dicker. But, um, yeah, but I remember, right, in the blazing sun in cyprus i just remember don gibbons didn't basically move from a white you know deck chair basically sat up next to the bench he did absolutely nothing ireland were really poor i remember the players their play came over at the end gave a few lads shirts and stuff um which was really sound but um yeah i mean there wasn't many of us at it but that would just show you like it's interesting to see what was coming through though you know in the context we're always looking now as I said, keener interest in ever now, seeing what's coming through, and and it's quite good to see, really. A few of those did obviously go on to have very good careers with Ireland, um, you know, like Whelan, McGeady, um, especially. So, um, I Stephen, think Ward, um, Stephen, Stephen Ward, Stephen Ward was
1: yeah, course, was, was yeah. re, he, he was fairly handy with the WhatsApp group, wasn't he? he, was <laughs> he was, handy. Yeah, he, he, old he, 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 yeah he's all. <laughs> it's a good thing they good thing they didn't have WhatsApp back in yeah. The, 2005. Yeah.
2: Jesus
0: but,
2: on. Sorry, Martin. Go ahead. Go
0: on. No, I was just saying, like, you know, just just to, the thing is, I think Kerr, our technical director, and he wants to make changes and stuff. You know, our underage, under 21 team haven't done anything for many, many years. The, the most team we were most effusive of recently is, is seeing how Stephen Kenny's team ha- has done. You know, we've always, we've never achieved anything. Um, and and that was, you know, I think that was again, I think I, I keep going on about the politics in the background there's just this underlying feeling with me that obviously we know a lot more now of FAI finances yeah. and things that went on. And, you know, we know that, uh, you know, even Noel Mooney, a friend of the show, let's drop him in.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Noel Mooney moved on from the FAI. Like, we've let great people out yeah. the door at the FAI. Paki Bonner moved on um, to UEFA. So did Noel. Um, you know, we lost really, really good people. Now, I know that was money-wise as well, but like Kerr, I think he was there and when we were so positive about it. But I think it was... Really, I think in the background, so much other things going on um, with, you know, under twenty ones. Um, well, you know, well look Gibson at it, well, still there.
1: well, well, look at the man who replaced Don Givens. and that's just that just epitomizes it all, doesn't it?
0: Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. Noel so, King, I mean, yeah, you know, who, who very the, much be a good buddy of the you no doubt.
2: FEI gravy train, really, isn't it? I mean,
1: what well, care. That, I, well, that, well, that twenty-one geek. So if you think about it, like, I mean, um. Um Kerr would have been appointed by Bernard O'Burn, would he? Yeah. Yeah, to to the underage setup. So I mean, yeah, he was actually ninety-six, wasn't he? he? He was appointed. So if you look at Kerr and then all of a sudden it's Don Givens and Don G- it wasn't even Don Givens' appointment, it was more so Don Givens' contract constantly being extended and then Noel King coming in for the guts of ten years. So that's 21's one's job is is a bigger gig than people think, and it was almost treated by the FAI under a certain era as um you know we'll, we'll sort out one of our own and put them on a nice little wage and it doesn't matter how good they are at developing players it doesn't matter how they're going to perform this job we'll, we'll put them in there and we'll keep extending their contract yeah.
0: same thing with the women's football as well it was like Noel king was manager of them for a while wasn't he so yeah. that's just the Ten way we looked at underage we just looked at it that there are there are secondary four and stuff you know like i think even uh i'm not sure the mick was it that we had like his assistant basically used to be in charge of yeah, the under-21s, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Ian Evans, yeah so that's right. And Morris
1: setter's before under, under, in um, a way, Jack, yeah, you
0: know? yeah. I mean, no real problem with that. If before, you're yeah. going to link the teams and be very closely linked to them. And I think that's what Mick did very well. I think we alluded to it before when Kilban said, when he was in the under-21s, that he could see the seniors and he, and they used to play against them. And you were shown really that this is where you want to be. So you better start proving yourself. I like that idea. I think that's, that's, kind of you know encouragement for them but we were just amateur again just so below the surface of our senior football we're very amateur we had a lot of hope with Kerr because he got success elsewhere but I just think he wasn't yeah. really what's a weird thing though for me even listening to you talk about it, all of you like you know David and yourself talk about it, Nick Um, I think it's weird if Kerr hadn't put his name forward for it though and, and didn't want the job we'd be going oh, look he'd always be questioned as well you, you've never done it at a senior level so what do you know it would, that would be seen to undermine the senior manager I think. Yeah. so the fact he did it with a good generation but he didn't achieve ultimately is a sad thing and then obviously we know what comes next
1: yeah so if we talk about the aftermath of the care the care is sucking so some interesting men <laughs> getting put forward for the job once care left so Martin O'Neill who, of course, a Celtic manager at the
2: time, or had he just left Celtic? Uh, no, he was on sabbatical from May because um his, from Celtic, his wife. his wife, yeah,
1: yeah, his wife was ill, and then David O'Leary. So again, any younger listeners, David O'Leary had this was only a couple of years after getting leads to the Champions League semi-final. So no other Irishman's on that, to my knowledge. And then the recently retired Roy Keane. <laughs> <laughs> also linked with the job so o'neill did rule himself out, out of the job of course he was on sabbatical um i don't know if, why i thought he was still with Celtic at the time 2005 i suppose he left before going to villa taking over from o'leary o'leary was still aston villa manager and uh, martin you did quite a bit or sorry david you did quite a bit of research into fire between, between brian Kerr and john delaney kind of in the aftermath of, of the sacking. Do you want to talk us through some of that? Because you did quite a bit of digging there. And it's very, very interesting because it does foretell the next couple of decades or so, sadly. Uh,
2: yeah. Um. So I was obviously go through the archives and stuff, but I was having a look at Champagne Football, you know, and if you, if you haven't read it, like it's, it's a phenomenal book. And I will sign copies for you. I do have a story in it, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the star of uh that particular book but uh yeah so i thought it was a little bit like curvy delaney um so basically delaney we're talking about finances and <laughs> delaney and finances that's a laugh uh but care was opposed to delaney's budget slashing for underage football essentially and there was you know as the years were around this time underage football had become a lot more sort of uh complex and there was more age groups coming about it was getting a lot more technical, you know, where we were saying earlier on, I think Lean Tooey was the assist was the under 21s so Jack took over. He went after Jack insulted him. And then Lee Morrisetters it was kind of like the, the assistant manager always took over, but now it was getting more and more sort of technical and in depth. And Kerr wanted more money, Delaney said no. So that was uh, that was one fight. Another one um was when Kerr and Packy Bonner announced a new plan for Irish football in June two thousand and four. Uh, Delaney was absent. For that, which uh, doesn't bode well, when you you know you realise that Delaney's one of the top um, top people in the FEI, of course, at the time wasn't quite CEO, but he's treasurer, and he, I think he, he could have been inter, inter, uh, interim CEO at that time. Or um, also, Keir wanted Don Gibbons sacked as under 21s boss because, well, he was shite, really. To be fair, Don Gibbons, um, a every strike, but it's terrible under 21s manager. And Delaney actually was friends with Don Gibbons according to Champion Football, and not only did he not sack Don Givens, he actually gave him a contract extension. This is the same John Delaney who uh, fired Brian Kerr or would not renew his contract um, over bad results, but yeah, he keeps on Don Givens. Okay. Um, Delaney, then we we were talking about an under-21s game there, Martin, against Cyprus um, in the under-21s game against uh, Israel in Tel Aviv. Um, Delaney, basically the... um, the Blazers were sat um, in a different part of the stadium than then Kerr and the national team um, were in the other part of the stadium. And basically, Delaney showed an angry text from Kerr to fellow board members parading him because the Blazers were were in the shade and the senior team were in the blazing sun. And uh, yeah, you know, probably not the most ideal uh, preparation that you need. Uh, also, Brian Kerr had attended a gold charity event in Dublin with Bertie Ahern, the Taoiseach at the time and he wore his Pats jersey of course we know Kers a Pats man through and through and the Pats jersey had Smart Telecom as a sponsor and of course Aircom, uh, formerly Telecom Aaron were uh the main principal sponsor of the Irish football team at the time and they put a complaint in to Delaney about this and then Delaney um, forwarded his complaint to Karen, Karen Delaney had another fight about that of course um, I know and also, as I mentioned earlier on, Kerr was penciled in for replacing the UEFA technical analysis group by Andy Roxburgh, the former Scotland manager, but was vetoed yeah. by the FAI. And, you know, also, I mean, I agree with the decision that Kerr wasn't kept on as hard of manager manager. Um, however, the way the FAI went about it was quite poor and they had no communication with Kerr for a week after the Switzerland game. And essentially, before John Delaney went out to speak, to the media about this who were all assembled to basically say we're not renewing his contract he'd text I think like an, like literally before he went out he texted um Brian Kerr's agent to say yeah we're, we're going with someone else we're going with a world class manager wink wink you know it was just it was, a, it was a war of attrition between the two it's never good your CEO and your manager have to get on you know maybe Kerr you could argue that Kerr probably didn't help this because Kerr can be quite from what I've read of him you know very tribal sort of very um you know, tells you what he thinks. Kind not of Not a thing. yes man, in other words, which he's, suited yeah, he's John not, Delaney
1: down to the ground.
2: Yeah, you know, so we're never going to get on great there, you know, but in saying that, you know, I mean, look who Brian Carr was dealing with. So, yeah, I, I totally get it. Um, so they, they just never, ever got on those two. And, you know, you have to remember, lads, when he wanted Brian Robson and the other two board members, can't remember them off the top of my head, we mentioned last week, they wanted brian Kerr, but he wanted brian robson and he was outvoted two to one yeah so yeah it was never ever ever gonna work and it didn't clearly yeah and then it brings us on to the
1: famous chapter the next famous chapter in irish football the appointment of that world-class manager the gaffer the boss <laughs> oh lads something else is not it just um, I remember I'm kind of, uh, geez, I don't know who who it was. It might have been our buddy Tom Humphreys, not actually our buddy. Just them. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but but I remember a journalist chasing him down into a car, chasing Stan down into a car, and they're like, are, "Are you the next Ireland boss?" And he's like, "Well, we'll just have to see." Big cheeky grin in his face, and it was like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is very interesting because you have to keep in mind." And again, I keep going back to younger listeners, um. Stan was not the banterful um, meme that he's grown to become at the time and I always look at this appointment lads so the 16th of January Stan is appointed along alongside Bobby Robson and as a kid looking back well I wasn't I wasn't that young at this stage I was probably 16 at this stage but looking back I remember thinking this is great. I mean, Mick McCarthy was Ireland captain, and he took over Ireland when he was in his mid-20s. This is this is spot on. This is history repeating itself. This is a a golden generation of players we have, and it's it's going to be wonderful. And we've got Bobby Robson, a legendary manager, working alongside them. This is a dream come true. This is a dream team. I was a bit thick. I was a bit thick though as a kid. Um, <laughs>
2: I, and, I can yeah. honestly say, hand on heart, Nick, I never once, I never once, I thought this was gonna work. Um, but I would, you know, get behind mm-hmm. an appointment and say, it "Wouldn't be my first choice, but I get behind them." Like, like to put it into context, Staunton was still playing for Walsall, wasn't
1: he? And I think only a couple player of weeks before. Coach, yeah. So yeah, yeah, player coach, and I think it's Rene Gilmartin was the is the under twenty one goalkeeping coach still playing for Bristol. A good Malahide man, same parish as me. But I think Rennie Gilmartin made his debut in the League Cup. Um I don't know who was over playing but but Stan I think was caretaker manager. Um for like one or two games or something like that. And I know he was kind of the defensive coach and he was still playing. And I remember thinking this this is great. This is great. I don't know what it was. As I said it was, I was that bit younger. <laughs> um if I don't have a, if I don't have a clue about football now I certainly didn't. At that age, well, but I just remember thinking this is this is Mick McCarthy all over again, ex-Ireland captain, um, young manager, this is great.
2: I remember <laughs> I remember um Ronnie Whelan being on you the old show Jonas Sports, I don't know if you still have it, and he was on it and he I think it was him and he said, I, f- I think there's a real buzz around Ireland now. Just a real buzz around Dublin now that Steve Stanton is taking over for Brian Kerr, because the whole mantra was it was passion. It was all about passion. There was no passion. Um, under that Care word, as-
1: that word that we never hear
2: associated with Irish football. <laughs> fashion <laughs> Jesus It's the real pat in the head, isn't it? Like um, you know. It is. Clap, yeah. boy, lad. You know. Glorious and, failure. Yeah. <laughs> and, t- and what was it? He turned around and, and Delaney said when he announced that Kerr uh, wasn't um, going to be his contract wasn't going to be renewed that you know oh you couldn't see the fear in the eyes of Switzerland you know and, and all this kind of stuff which to be fair he had a point but. Yeah, it was all about the passion, and it was all about bringing back um, Mick Byrne. It was all about bringing back Tony Hickey, who was the security guy. It was all about bringing all these guys back. It was just to, in my, from what it looks like to me, you guys might have a different opinion. It looked like this is an appointment to appease the senior players, and maybe somebody who was made captain um, a very short time later. And players like of that ilk, because it was just a very sort of like a lads sort of, uh, ah, yes, this is one for lads. And all the ex-players were behind it because there were obviously ex-teammates with with this guy. They were friends with this guy. And as, you know, we would discover, uh, there was one particular one who was a commentator on a particular match that we'll cover next week, who was also behind um, getting (laughs) him involved and Bobby Robson involved as well. The whole thing stank. It stinks now. It stunk then. And yeah, it's, it's just an absolute embarrassment, quite frankly. It's, it's funny looking at the other names that
1: were kind of (laughs) thrown about. Alex Ferguson, uh, David Moyes, Terry Venables, all kind of considered, well, all kind of mentioned around the job. It's hilarious looking back at that. So when you hear this whole world-class manager, I think O'Leary, O'Leary was kind of the, the rumored head, wasn't he really? And, and then Stan all of a sudden, there was a lot of stuff. Like, as I said, the, that um, you know that that little clip of I must must I must read it out actually, but that clip of um, Stan in the car park and they're just chasing him around and they're like, do you think you're gonna like, are you in the running to be Ireland manager? And the big grin on his face, you know, just not subtle, as you said, this whole kind of lads bantery kind of yeah mentality.
0: It, oh. it, it was that. It was very amateur hour basically. This this was so underwhelming. I mean, I went with it. And I was, you know, real passionate about following Ireland. So they'd have loved me. Um, So, you know, we were going to be going to games wherever. And I remember um, we had a Miss London club meeting where um, we had a very special guest come over, John Delaney. And he was coming over to us and to kind of just, you know, catch up with the London branch and put a chat with us and stuff like that. And, you know, lots of, we're in a kind of, the venue, uh, function room and stuff, all all decked out, Irish colours, flags and stuff. And, uh, you know, John Delaney come in, everyone said, like, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's great to see him. And he's going to, you know, give his usual spiel and stuff. But then there was a little surprise at the door and then walks Dan. And uh, brilliant. So it was all a bit of a kind of show then. I kind of saw, really, the first time I saw John Delaney as a showman, but... He he brought, you know, it was a big kind of a surprise. Oh, look who I brought along, the manager. And Master. Stan was brilliant, to be fair, um, you know, and had a, a chat about he, it. And,
1: he's a good lad, Stan. Yeah. He's a really good and, lad, to be fair. I've met met again, him before, and, and he's a we, lovely fella.
0: We all just wanted him to do well. I, I, lo- I didn't mind the fact, I think they kind of knew the FAI. This was basically an appointment on the cheap as well. I think it was a bit of a... You know, in the wake of Kerr, I think this is the time that Delaney started getting powerful. Um, as a CEO, he's the one pulling the strings. Um, this is his appointment. I know he then referred and said it wasn't, but this was his, his person coming in, trying to be clever again a little bit. This is a good few years before the trying to be clever with appointing Stephen Kenny and giving him a contract when he's already got Mick in, and you're going to be the future manager, and then we'll also bring Robbie Keane in and give him a contract. All these clever little deals going on. This was what was happening there. I mean, yeah, surround,
1: surrounding himself with the Golden Circle, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, and th- this
1: was early. This is early indications of that. It was all that, and then that politics. That shrewd, yeah, yeah. shrewd tactical, shrewd all political politics. tactics. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and bringing Bobby Robson in was just as you know, who's going to hammer Bobby Robson? He's an absolute legend. Loved. You know, look, you can't go against his CV. Um, you know, and and this is what's going to bring the experience with it, because as as I think we were all thinking is the, the thing of Ireland is we'll we'll put it up against any team on our day we can beat them all, but you know there was no professionalism, tactic, tactical now of or anything like that. This was just going to be motivating them players. Those players though probably took advantage of of the situation, which I know David used to allude to there. You know, we had players who who you know are, are great at their clubs and stuff but they still saw Ireland as probably a a, a bit holiday. of a break from their clubs and holiday and uh, you know I, I'm a senior pro they're not going to drop me they need me you know they, they I can do whatever I want I'll go on the piss in Dublin if I really want I'll still get away with it and, that, and that's ultimately what happened under Stan like you know lots of stories are, are things you know Stan was very much saw himself as one of the lads and the, the professionalism then was gone and that, and that went again with um we, you know I think that was just the whole thing of you know the total opposite of probably what Kerr was trying to do at underage level at yeah. technical development level and also senior level so and even Roy Keane in a way Roy Keane's gone would he have stood for all that kind of rubbish would he have stood for Stan being a manager like no. would he have respected him No, he wouldn't have but that that was what it was it, Interesting, you know, like the other names who were kind of supportive of it and saying, yes, good idea and stuff. As I said, everyone loved Bobby Robson, legend. You know, he was brought in politically to kind of, you're not going to slate Stan because look, we can always rely on Bobby and stuff. But, you know, as Stan said, he was the gaffer. Um, and we, as we, you know, we refer to in the, in the in the previous one podcast and we'll come on to next week, you know, how he treated the press, how he, he wasn't going to get off to a great start with that. Um, I, I think it was just a very, very strange appointment and it, very underwhelming. And I just think it was a bit of player power. We're quite happy with that because they knew they could take advantage over the next few, few years. And it's a waste, you know, it will be shown to see, shown to prove, a waste of a campaign, basically, with, with him out on board. I th-
2: I think as well, and um, what you alluded to there, Martin, um, about him coming in as sort of like, you know, bit of crack or whatever with the boys. Um, that's probably one of the the things that the care era was guilty of in the in the eyes of the players. Now, when I say that, I say tongue in cheek because, you know, essentially he, when the lads let, would leave their club, they would come to Ireland. As, you know, they'd go to the cinema under Jack they'd have a few drinks. Mick was quite tight now at first and then he kind of loosened up a little bit. And it was a holiday for these guys. It was a, it was like going on holiday with your mates, essentially catching up. Oh, hey, getting on in your job? Ah oh, yes, you know. But you know, it's grand now, we're here, we can have a few drinks and play a bit of football and regale in the in the um in the adulation of the Irish fans, you know, because we, we give it a hundred percent, you know. We might be half cut, but we'll give it we'll give it a hundred percent. And Kerr, I think his crime, and I say it very loosely, was that he wanted to to sort of go to the players, no, this is your job as well as playing for your club. Playing for your country is your job and we're going to do it. And that's why he had the dossier sort of forensic approach. The players just didn't take to it. The players didn't like it. They said, oh, Christ, like i come here to get away from this. You know, and that's, that's what I got from that.
0: Yeah, like I, like I alluded to there earlier, like, you know, the, the night in the Faroe Islands when all the lads let yeah. their hair down, that was in the season, June. I wouldn't say there was any real secret sessions or anything like that. There was no breaking out. You know, we come on to other managers' campaigns, like Stan. We know there was a night, there was a few nights out and stuff, and how the players behaved with those stories. Even the preparation, which spoiler alert, when we come on to Germany, <laughs> uh, there's a game, you know, and the lives are out, and and they he doesn't turn up for training because he's one of the last ones in the door the night before. Um, yeah. th- th- you know, we we've you've got to get the balance right, I think, as a, as a manager of you know when they can have a little a drink and stuff like that. I think some of the players. Real senior pros, I think a lot of people will be surprised in time when stories get, you know, in, in years and years to come, how some of those players, I've heard rumours of how they used to act on on uh, international duty, again, they, they may have performed on the pitch, but they weren't always professional off it, that, that's, no. I've no problem with that, if it's, in a way, I think there's a time and a place and stuff, but if you're not getting the results, you're going to get criticism for that. You know, we had the same thing with Trappatoni, not getting the balance right. You know, he doesn't like Andy Reid having a sing song in a few years time and having a few pints. You've yeah. got to get the balance right with it. But, but, um, but they were slated
2: though, for that though, Martin, in the press, like I was reading our good friend there, Mr. Humphreys, mm. um, I, <laughs> I wasn't, I mean, that's just what kept coming up in the archives. <laughs> it, it, it just happened to be their number one, mm. Eminem and Malone. Um, And they were just saying, like, like you could see the subtle digs from Malone and Humphreys at the players. You know, like, oh, yeah, you're out in the lash here and you're doing this. You know, you could see those subtle digs. And I I think maybe at first, I could be wrong now. I'm just guessing. I'd say at first, Kerr tried to really lock this down, this professional approach down. And then maybe as it went on, he sort of just lost control of it. And he sort where they were maybe sneaking out or trying to sneak out. It it just became a bit of a laugh. like And it was just pure frontery. At the end, you know, he just went all right to hell with it because I heard stories about the Irish players going and getting absolutely hammered in um in Dublin like before a few days before games important matches, you know, under care and and all this kind of stuff. And you know, then you see Roy Keane going out and doing it. I mean, you'd never see him doing that in, in during the two thousand two campaign. He uh. That, that was him like, wasn't it? He? he wanted his professional approach. That's why he liked Kerr. He liked the dossier. Oh yeah, I mean Reds- to
0: be fair, in the context of Keene and Faroe Islands, I don't think he was actually he wasn't he wasn't involved in all the fooling around to be honest No, no, the no. He was, around. He but he was just, just i think up, he like, just yeah. was out with the team. I think he, yeah. he, he had problems I and think he alluded well. to alcohol and stuff and he 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 was just but the fact he was out was what, what Matt Holland alluded to. That, yeah. you know, he's here actually, he's not just distancing himself away from the squad kind of took uh, away from the fire because he was too nice that's the, that's the thing yeah he's not on the edge of it but uh, yeah. you know I, I think you know we, we come on see Stan you know he was in he wasn't really the gaffer with the players he was, t- he wanted to be their friend he wanted to mess around with Robbie his captain in the press conferences and stuff and he was just amateur hour I keep like he just yeah. really, really poor and, and then yeah, that just is reflective on the pitch's pitch and you know, when we come on to discuss the next campaign, it's actually a really interesting campaign and lots of snippets from some of them players um afterwards yeah. of how they found him and things like that, you know, and how you know You know, love Stan as a player, brilliant. But as a manager, he just didn't cut it in my view. And we'll come on to next week.
1: Yeah, and it's one, it's one that we're certainly looking forward to. Anyway, I mean, it's it's scary to look back at, but it's certainly fun to discuss. So (laughs) all that plus more next week. And I suppose, as I say, keep the feedback coming. Great feedback on the the carrier, lads. I mean, I think a lot of people are are realizing that it's one of the the maybe less discussed. So thanks again for the feedback and for a lot of the kind words over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday for the midweek show and then as i mentioned already we'll be back this day next week for manager monday to discuss the roller coaster ride that was the steve stanton era so until then a big thank you to martin and david and come on you boys in green